So words are incredibly powerful. It has power to shape um, our own lives, and it also has the power to shape the lives of others, especially people around us. I mean, you can hear stories after stories, especially if you just turn on the news, how you know, teenagers or young adults that they struggled with depression or maybe even suicidal thoughts because of a careless word that was thrown um, by someone else. You know, we hear how abusive parents maybe uh, can shape the way that children think. Uh, maybe your boss is abusive and um, because of the language, because of the words that are being spoken to you, uh, you just feel um, depressed every single day. We see that words have power. It has power to build people and also has power to break people down. The book of James um, talks a lot about words. In fact, in every chapter, from chapter 1 through 5, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, the writer of this letter, the, the leader of the early church in Jerusalem, he mentions something uh, in each chapter about words. In James chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Be quick to hear, but slow to speak. In verse 27, he says, If anyone does not bridle the tongue, that person's religion is worthless. In chapter 2, he says, well, speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. In chapter 4, he says, hey, don't speak evil against one another. And finally, in chapter 5, he says, hey, don't swear or take an oath uh, because your yes should be your yes or no should be no. You shouldn't have to explain yourself by taking an oath. So all these different things about words are being thrown in this letter, but probably the most um, critical passage about words in this letter is found in today's passage, in chapter 3. James, the leader of the early church, he is constantly talking about words, and we see why in this passage. And before before we dive into today's passage, we have to set some ground rules in order to understand um, this passage. First thing is this, James is not commenting on the words that are used in this world. He's commenting on the words that are used among believers. In verse 1, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And this is an expression that James uses throughout the letter. He's talking to the believers, the the members of the family uh, who belong to the family of God, those who are born again in Christ. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking about, okay, what do people say in Hollywood? What do people say on YouTube? He's not talking about how you know, people of this world are speaking uh, in such an evil way, how their, their words are corruptive and, and, and destructive. No, that's not what he's saying. He's actually having a family talk. He's saying, hey, Christians, believers, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a brother, you are a sister, and if you proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have to listen to this. You have to be careful about your words. So James is writing to fellow believers, not just a general public in who, who uses words. The second thing is this. Although uh, James constantly uses the word tongue, and probably in your Bible, the subheading for this passage is taming the tongue, this passage is not about the tongue, right? Uh, the word tongue is just an expression, a way to to talk about words that we use. You know, um, nowadays, this is important to understand because we no longer just um, communicate through our our tongue or our mouth, but we communicate through our fingertips, right? 
uh, we text, we tweet, we blog, we use emojis, we use uh, memes, we use pictures, videos, all these different sources of communication we have access to. And because of that, James is not address, just addressing the words that come out of our mouth, it's actually the words that we just communicate in different forms. All these principles that we find in today's passage can be applied to those uh, ways of communication as well. So with this in mind, let's just try to dive into the text. In verse 1, James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And this is kind of depressing, right? Maybe some of you were thinking, okay, in this next term, I'm going to serve as a children's teacher. Maybe I'm going to serve as a youth teacher. Maybe some of you are thinking, oh, I'm going to serve as a, uh, as a volunteer at the youth retreat. Or maybe some of you, you're actually a teacher. Your occupation is a teacher, right? And you're thinking, oh, man, what did I get myself into? Um, well, James, he's not saying that being a teacher is it's not a bad career choice. He's not saying that being a teacher is insignificant and unimportant. That's why I want you to stay away from being a teacher. But he says, for you know that we who teach, so including himself, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And this is scary. By the way, if you're a parent, you're a teacher as well because God calls you to be a teacher of God's word to your children. So in different ways, we teach and speak of the word of God. But we have to understand something here. In the first century, teaching was not just a job, but it was a way to gain power. You know, people viewed teachers as leaders of the society. You know, it was a way that you can have influence and authority over other people. So it seems like people were having a hard time grasping the responsibility of a teacher. Rather, they were just embracing the power and the influence they can gain from being a teacher. So they were wanting to be a teacher with all the wrong reasons. You know, they weren't concerned about what was right and what was wrong. Rather, they were concerned about what they can gain and how they can influence other people in this world. So because of that, James is saying not many of you should become teachers. He's not saying that it's a bad idea to become a teacher, but he is saying that you should carefully think about becoming a teacher, for you'll be judged with greater strictness. So James, he's not saying that um, there's this separate category where teachers are judged. Uh, God has uh, this kind of unique way to judge different people who, who teach. But rather, I think this verse can be understood in light of Matthew 12, where Jesus says um, this. He gives a strong warning about careless words. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So it seems like every careless word that we speak, every word that we ever say, you know, we're, we have to give an account to God. We have to explain what those words meant. So in, in this sense, yeah, teachers are at a greater risk. Teachers, more than anyone else, use words. You know, we use words to teach, we use words to communicate information, and because of that, because we use more words, there is a greater danger to misuse words. And that's why um, James is saying it's not such a good idea to become a teacher if you don't understand the responsibility of and the weight of using words. And I think from this, we can draw off a simple uh, application. When we serve within the church, especially when we are teaching other people, especially teaching the younger generation, when we are raising our children, we have to be careful in what we say and how we act because teaching is not a light job. You know, Sunday school, um, leading VBS, 
you know, leading um, the youth in, in, in mission trips or, or maybe um, in retreats or different forms of teaching within the church. Maybe you are, you are discipling someone within the church. Just be aware that when you serve and teach others, that with that great power that you have where you can influence these people, there is great responsibility. You know, James, he goes on and he says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, so no one is perfect. However, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And that word perfect man simply means a mature man, um, able also to bridle his whole body. So this is what James is saying. He's saying that I understand that you can't be perfect, but in order for you to be spiritually mature, you have to learn how to, how to, how to tame your words. You have to learn how to speak properly. You know, it requires a, a, a great deal of responsibility when you teach, and the words that you speak actually reflect how mature you are. And then he goes on to make this argument, and all this is because words are extremely powerful. And in order to drive this point home, he uses a couple illustrations, a couple word pictures, I guess. In verse 3, he, he says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of horses here, but if you go into Texas, where you know, I went to school in Texas, they have a lot of horses. I mean, people have horses as pets, right? They just ride, ride around. And even a, a small child can ride on a horse. No, this horse can weigh up to 2,000 pounds. And yet this little child who, who probably weighs about like 50, I don't know, you know 70 pounds, this little uh, child can control the horse because there is this bit in the mouth of the horse. And that bit is, 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 is connected to this kind of rope and then you can kind of control the horse. So what James is saying here is saying that a small thing can control a big thing. Right? The bit determines the direction of the horse. In the same way, words, although they seem small, they seem insignificant, they can determine the direction of your life and the lives of others. Words seem small, but they have power to control our lives and others. In verse 4, he goes even further, he takes this illustration just a step further. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are also so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So this time, he's not just talking about something small. He's talking about something very small. A very small rudder can control a very large ship. No, so very small words, insignificant words, words that you think are just meaningless, so you throw them out in a careless manner, those words can actually direct um, the, the course of your life. Those words can set the trajectory of your life and the lives around you. So to summarize this passage, uh, in verse 5, he says this, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Words are extremely powerful. They seem small, but they have power to control our lives and the lives of others. And here's why it's a problem. Because not only are words extremely powerful, they're extremely dangerous. When words are misused, they, they are like a fire that's set on a force. He says in verse 5, the second half of verse 5, he says, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
So according to the National Park Service, um, about 85% of the wildfire that takes place in the United States, it happens because of, of human beings. That people, they create um, campfires or you know, they leave it unintended. Maybe they, they, and they smoke and then they leave a cigarette butt uh, somewhere lying around and then they just um, and go away. And because of that, when the wind blows, when uh, the weather is dry, a tree catches on fire, and that tree, um, you know, that fire spreads to another tree, and at the end, this entire forest is burning. And you probably saw this on the news, especially with the California wildfires, right? It, it all starts from one little spark, one careless act of a human being where they just leave this small flame unintended. And in the same way, our words, although they seem small, um, one careless word can destroy a person, and when a person is destroyed, that person has the potential to destroy a group of people. And by the time you actually recognize the problem, you notice that the damage is way too big to control. You know, if you think about it, one match weighs about, uh, one match is about, um, about two inches long. It's not that big, right? But that one match can put uh, one tree on fire. And that one tree can burn and light up an entire forest. In the same way, one small word can have a devastating effect on just not an individual, but many lives. No, and you might be thinking, well, what are the odds? I mean, I'm just joking. I just, I know, I just said those words as a joke. They, they know my heart. They know I'm, I'm just fooling around. You know, I, I don't mean any harm. You know, I'm just trying to be funny. And so I just said these words. And yeah, that's true. Maybe it's not a big deal under normal circumstances. Just like, you know, a small campfire, it wouldn't light up an entire forest um, under normal, circum- norm- normal circumstances. I mean, no one leaves the campsite wishing that the forest is going to burn, Right? In the same way, no one wishes that lives are going to be destroyed by their careless words. However, when the wind is blowing, when life is dry, when the conditions are met, that one careless word can light someone on fire. And you have no idea what someone else is going through. Maybe that one word would not have that type of devastating effect on someone if it was a normal day. However, if someone is going, having a hard time in life, you know, getting blown away by the winds of life, no, they're spiritually dry, they, they are thirsty, and they, they don't, they're, they're struggling spiritually, and this careless word just drops in their life, that could light them up and really destroy them from the inside and out. That could, that could just bring them down completely. And not only that, because that one person is brought down, friends, families, people around them, people who love that person are brought down, and it, by the time you know it, it can have a devastating effect on people. That's how words work. Words are extremely dangerous. They have the potential to bring disaster upon our lives and upon the lives of many. And here's why. In verse 6, it says this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So careless words, not only are they dangerous, they're demonic. They're satanic. That's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying that when you say these careless words, it's like setting on fire by, it's a fire that's set um, by hell. 
No, it's satanic. And we experienced this before, right? Uh, whether it's maybe it's someone that you loved, maybe your friends, uh, maybe your parents. You know, one careless word can just change the trajectory of your life. When, when you were young, maybe people said stuff to you. You know, you're, you know, you're not good enough. You know, you're like this. You know, um, and, and all these different words just pile up in your life. And, 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 and sooner or later, you realize that, that, all, all, that your life is being impacted by all those wicked words. You know, careless words, um, the source is, is demonic. The source is satanic. You know, thoughtless chattering, lying, gossiping, arrogant boasting, all of these different things, they're not just mistakes. These come from the devil. That's what James is saying. Words are extremely dangerous. Words are also extremely difficult to control. In verse 7, he says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and of sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. And I know this is true because I've been to SeaWorld. Now, if you go to SeaWorld, uh, what happens is you get to see the Shamu show. I don't know if you've been there before. A Shamu is this killer whale, right? A killer whale is about 21 feet long. It weighs about 11,000 pounds. Um, it can eat seabirds, squid, octopus, sea turtles, even sharks. You know, I've seen some videos where killer whales are fighting with sharks, and sharks are no match for killer whales, right? They are the fastest marine mammals um, in the sea. They are on the top of the food chain when it comes to the ocean. And yet, when you go to SeaWorld, they're doing backflips for you. Right? They're, they're waving their tail for your entertainment. That creature, that, that ginormous beast, is tamed in such a way that, that it's simply a source of entertainment. And if you just go to the circus, you see lions, right, or tigers jumping through burning rings, and, right, you go to different places, you get to ride on elephants that can simply stomp on you and, and just kill you instantly. All these different beasts, you know, snakes, you know, people can control snakes with this uh, music, right, that's crazy. All these beasts, you know, lions, tigers, snakes, elephants, killer whales, no matter how big they are, no matter how deadly they are, what kind of poison they have, People are able to tame these animals. However, what James is saying is all these different animals have been tamed by people, but the tongue, it can't be tamed. On our own, we do not have the ability nor the power to control our words. We can try hard. We can come up with different strategies. You know, we can train ourselves for hours and hours. You know, we can develop different apps. We can find accountability. We can try all these different things, right? We can um, try to, you know, not even speak for a period of time, but still it won't be enough because the tongue is a different animal. Words are extremely difficult to control because they are deceiving. Words are deceiving. Look at verse 9. It says this, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. So words are powerful. Uh, they are dangerous. And the reason why they're difficult to control is because they are extremely deceiving. You know, with the same mouth, we bless God and we curse people. 
No, God created us in his likeness, in his image. And part of that means that we get to use words. If you think about it, um, there's not another species or, or, or creation uh, that can use words. I mean, some animals, they can make sounds, they can use gestures to communicate, but they don't have language. Um, they can't fully communicate what they think and how they feel. They don't have that capacity. Um, only human beings have the capacity to utilize words and develop languages and learn different languages. This is a gifting from God. God created us in a very unique way. No, words are extremely powerful because God, he uses words to create things, to make things. In the same way, God gives us power by empowering us through his words. But here's the thing. Although out of his grace, God gave us words um, and we are able to speak and communicate with one another, because of that, we have the potential to sin and misuse and abuse these words. No, uh, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. In other words, we are double-minded. We have this two-faced where uh, we are saying one thing and the next day we are saying another thing. No, everything in creation has one nature and they produce one fruit. No, it says in verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? So either you choose between fresh water or salt water. No, you can't have both. There's no in-between. In verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? So a fig tree only produces figs. Olive tree only produces olives. No, one nature, one fruit. That's how this world works. But there's one creature that produces a duplistic, a duplistic result from their nature, and that's human beings, right? Uh, because we have... Uh, in a sense, this duplistic nature in us. You know, James, he's making a simple point. He's saying that everything in this world produces out of its own nature, right? Um, if you have a tree in your backyard and if it's producing apples, it's an apple tree. If it's producing oranges, it's an orange tree. The tree is defined by its fruit. And that's what James is trying to get to in today's passage. No, in today's passage, James is not highlighting the do's and don'ts when it comes to words, but he's trying to make a point. He's saying that the reason why we struggle so much with words, the reason why we say damaging, th damaging things, although we don't mean it, although we don't want it, is, is not out of mistake. Rather, it's out of our own nature. Right? Matthew 12, verse 33, 37, Jesus says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad or its fruit bad? For the tree is known by its fruit. And then he goes on to say, the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's what James is saying. Do you see how nature works? Do you see how olive trees produce olives and grape vines produce grapes? The reason why you are producing these wicked words, these harmful words, these careless words, is not out of mistake. It's actually a reflection of your nature. You're just that sinful. No, you are just that broken inside. No, you can try to come up with different strategies. You can kind of 
follow do's and don'ts and watch over your language and, and, and have people watch over you. But at the end of the day, if your nature does not change, your words are not going to change. If you think about it, in the letter of James, there are all these different commands that are given by James, 50-plus commands. He's, 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 he, he doesn't waste any time when it comes to these commands. He wants to make his letter very practical. He's saying, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. No, everything is very straightforward. But when it comes to chapter 3, these 12 verses, there's actually only one single command that comes in the very beginning. He says, hey, not every one of you should become teachers. That's the only command that's here in these 12 verses. And I think it's because James, he's not trying to communicate to us what you need to do and what you don't need to do. He wants us to think about this problem. He wants us to understand the solution to our problem with words is not steps one, two, and three. It's actually Jesus. Because Jesus is the only person who can change our nature. If Words, our problem of words comes from our sinful nature, then the solution has to be Jesus because Jesus, he is the only one who can change our nature. He is the only one who can renew our hearts. He is the only one who can replace our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, meaning our only hope to speak godly words, to speak encouraging words, to speak words of life is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you why. It's because in Colossians 1, Jesus says that I have created all things through word. My word, he sustains all things through his word. In Ephesians 5, he says he sanctifies the church through his word. In Revelation, he says, I will have the final word because in John chapter 1, he is the eternal word. So do you want to speak in a way that's honoring to God? Then you have to rely on Jesus. Jesus is the the only way we can produce pure speech because apart from Jesus, we have no hope to change our nature, to change our heart. So what does this mean for us? It actually means you can change. Uh, some people say, hey, this is just how I talk. You know, this is how, how I was raised. You know, I spoke like this for 20 years, 20 plus years, 30 plus years. I'm not going to change right now. Well, when you say that, you're basically saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is not powerful enough to transform what I say. If you believe that Jesus is the solution to your careless words, then you better believe that Jesus can change your words. You know, identify some of the words that you are saying, some of the things that you're texting, some of the things that you're posting. Are, are, are they godly? Are, are they edifying? Are they encouraging? Are they loving? If not, what are they? What, reflect, what kind of reflection do you get? You know, what are your words reflecting about your heart? And if you see something damaging in your words, then maybe you have to change your heart first. And also, because of this, we have hope, uh, and, and, and we, we can have hope if we were hurt by other people's words. You know, we understand that words are powerful and they're deceitful, which means a lot of times the words that hurt us were actually not true, that they were lies, that they were attacks from the enemy, that there were words that were meant to bring us down. And maybe we've been holding on to those words so long, and, we, and those words are eating us up uh, from the inside and out. Maybe you know, people that you really love said some hurtful things in your lives. And because of this passage, we can identify that people are not perfect, that we can replace those hurtful words, those defeat, deceitful words, with words of truth, with the help of Jesus Christ. So don't hold on. To, 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 to your pain, and don't hold on to, to those words that have been hurting you for so long. 
Go to Jesus. Trust in him. Let him speak truth into your lives. And finally, I think we can understand that not only does this tongue have power to destroy, but it does have power to give life. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we have a choice. We can either choose to destroy things or we can either choose to bring life to people. Now, how are people saved? It's through the word of God. Now, how do co- people come to know Jesus? It's through the word of God. How are people transformed? It's through the word of God. How do people experience the love of God? It's through the word of God. We have the ability to speak truth into people's lives in a real way. So instead of using it and misusing it in a way that's hurting other people, I pray that we'll use our words carefully holding on to Jesus, trusting that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that we would just submit our lives to him, that we let him take control of our words, that we would say things that are edifying and building and and honoring to God. And I pray that that will uh, allow us to to live in unity, that will allow us to encourage one another, and that every single one of us will become more like Christ through our words. Amen.